John 7, uh, and we're going to be reading the first 13 verses of John 7, and I'll read um, for us. John 7, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not going up yet to this feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the, for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. <clears throat> Maybe we can do better. Good morning. <clears throat> well, this is the day that the Lord has made. Uh, even if my voice is a little bit, if it is my voice. Um, we thank God for who he is. I'm so grateful for this home church of ours. Uh, Doreen, she's not with me. Mark explained. Uh, we didn't pack smartly. Uh, we packed everything in the big suitcases. So she's stuck uh, with the, what she has on her body. Um, <laughs> but I braved that. Uh, so this is what I came with from Zambia, which is great. God is good. I'm grateful for, uh, for the leadership here, for all you have done for us uh, since uh, 1997. <clears throat> you have never relented. Uh, your prayers, uh, your help, your encouragement, uh, you have been there for us. It is a big vision, an authorizing visit, uh, but we have a big God. It's not ours, uh, it's God's business. All we need to do is to come alongside for what he's doing. You have helped North Rise to rise. We are grateful. I wanted to show just three products of North Rise. Three for what God has done and he continues to do. The first one is um, Joyce. 
Joyce, uh, she came to North Rise in her 50s. Uh, she wanted to start theology. You know, we didn't say, you know, you know, this is for pastors, for men. Uh, theology is for all of us. She had the passion to start um, a ministry. When she graduated in 2010, she founded Arising Life Ministries International. That Arising Life Ministry started with, um, you know, our kids who have HIV AIDS, uh, who are orphans, and uh, she fed them in the morning, she taught them, and there are over 100 of those today. This year, for the first time this year, we have three graduates from Arising Life who are at North Rise University. To God be the glory. I mean, um, you know, these three, they have bed spaces. One of them is doing nursing. The other one is doing finance. And the other one uh, is doing information technology. Their lives are changed. They are coming from homes where, you know, there were non-resident parents. But Joyce uh, took care of them. The second one uh, is it's a ministry which you, uh, you know, uh, Mapalo, Arise, you know, Mapalo Morning Glow. Emil is our graduate. <clears throat> he started in 2004. Today they have more than 350 uh, you know, kids, uh, training them, mostly orphans. Uh, these are the people when we built in 2005 uh, the building, you know, it was heartbreaking because these kids, they will come, up, come from homes, uh, they've never had a shower and nothing else. So we just had to put one shower for the boys, one shower uh, for the girls. You know, you could see even their hair. And, uh, you know, when we brought them, you know, those who didn't have, you know, they didn't have shower, we took them there, and you turn on the tap. The water is coming from the top. <laughs> I thought the water comes from down. I mean, today, we have eight graduates from Mapalo at North Rising Visit. One of them graduated last year is an accountant just like the way I was. To God be the glory. The third one, so familiar, uh, we call him our son, you know, Mlenga Chela. Uh, Mlenga Chela came to us, uh, zealous for the Lord. I mean, um, full-blown Pentecostal. So we had to massage him <laughs> slowly and say, it's okay, it's okay to read the Bible. It's okay to read the Bible in context. And Mlenga did obey. He ended up in prison, came back from prison. We are with him and with our partner, Bella University, sponsored him to do his master's. And now he has finished his doctorate. He's Dr. Chela. And he has more than 400 uh, you know, members at his church. The graduates who have graduated in theology, today, every Sunday, they are ministering, you put them together, more than 4,000 members for all those churches 
whom God has touched and they've graduated from Northrise. We salute you. We say thank you for being there for us. You know, lives are being changed. And for that, uh, we say to God, uh, be glory. Those are the products of Northrise. There are many more. We have more than 550. Each student almost takes care of five people. You can do the math of how many people are, taking, are being taken care of. No longer one meal a day or no meal a day. At least they can eat two meals a day. We thank God. Our text, today's text, that's our bread today. We heard the story of Jesus. He is around Galilee. And he didn't want just to go about in Judea. He doesn't want just to be there yet. Jesus' timing is always right. Well, the brothers, they said to him, you know, by the way, just go show yourself. Put up a show. Why don't you go and be there and perform miracles? Really deep down, they didn't believe in Jesus. They never believed in Jesus. I wanted to dwell on one scripture verse uh, which Jesus, you know, uh, answered his brothers. It's one sentence we want to take that theme to apply it for today's uh, message. Jesus' response to his brother's mocking provides an important perspective. And their teasing assumed that Jesus was merely seeking attention. And so he should want to go out in public and put up a show. However, Christ's intent was not to simply draw a crowd, but to explain the truth. And he said in verse 6, he says, My time is not yet here, but your time is always here. My time is not yet here, but your time is always here. Started thinking about that statement. Jesus, he had everything in order. He never did something out of just excitement. He had, you know, there are about seven or eight references in the Gospel of John where he says, my time is not yet here. And when his time came, he says, now is my time. But he says to these, his brothers, your time is always here. You can do whatever you want to do now. And that's what I want us to reflect on. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Help us to live uh, our lives for you. Our time is here. Use us for your glory. While we have breath, strength, voice, use us to save you and those who have planned for us to encourage and share the gospel. May we use the time you have given us, which is your time, wisely. We pray and ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, in actual fact, we want to dwell on time. 
Time is a subject that is precious to all of us. But it's also a subject that is extremely hard to define. Webster Dictionary defines time as a non-spatial continuum in which events occur in apparently irreversible succession from the past through the present to the future. If you were like me, I read that I'm going, so? <laughs> Give me the definition. That tells us what time does it matches on. But it doesn't tell us what time is. It just matches on. Well, time may be hard to define, to define, but we do know what it is. We know how important it is. When a person finds out that he has a terminal illness, the first question he or she will ask, how much time do I have left? For now, your bodies are good, you are fine. You never ask that. When the doctor says, ha, you have cancer, the first thing is, how much time do I have? So time is funny thing, we don't mind wasting it, but we'll do anything to keep from losing it. Since life is short and eternity is forever, live by God's time, not by man's time. So in John chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus says to his half-brothers who advised him to go up to the feast of booths and do some miracles to make himself known. He says, my time is not here, but your time is always here. Jesus was drawing a contrast between how he lived in view of God's time versus how his brothers lived their lives. His was perfect. He knew exactly what he would be doing. In John 17, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, now he says, the hour has come. From chapter 2 all the way to chapter 16, he says, my time has not yet come. But here he says, my hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may be glorified you. And here is the job description. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have, you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the, the glory I had with you before the world began. So he was on a mission. The time had come for him. You know, his job description, his mission was fulfilled. Jesus knew what it meant to keep time. Even the apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will be sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, 
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knew exactly, if you are going to live for Jesus, that is God's time. It's not just time to waste. It's always God's time. He goes on to say in, in Romans, if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. From time to time, I'm encouraged to have a reflected time. I sit down, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, am I using God's time wisely? This has grown particularly clear to me as I grow older, hopefully wiser. <laughs> I do not have long on this earth. I don't. So I need to live my life according to God's time. Human beings have always marked time by significant events. The real question is not whether we will mark time, but how we will do so. What events and what messages are we proclaiming in the calendaring of time? For the Christian time is not meant to become a tyrant ruling over us, you know, rather, it is intended to be a teacher, instructing and presenting us with opportunity and invitations to walk the way of love. Rather than being dreaded as an enemy, it is to be cultivated as a friend. Time. We cultivate it. Its role and reach is a part of the redemptive loving plan of God. In the incarnation, the eternal word became flesh, breaking into time to transform it from within. The Lord who created time now gives us time as a gift. We only have so many years, so many hours in a day. You know, and we are always saying, it's not enough. It is enough. 24 hours is it's enough what God has given us. So how do we view time? Is it a tyrant ruling over us? Or is it a tutor teaching us the way to live our lives in this world? Christians proclaim a linear timeline in history. There's a beginning and an end. A fulfillment which is a new beginning. Time is actually heading somewhere. That is as true of the history of the world as it is our own personal histories. Do we live this way? You know, when I reflect, I look back, I realize, you know, I wasted time. So much that maybe I would have done so much for him. Christians mark time by the great events of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are moving towards his loving return. You know, Jesus is coming back. Coming back for you and me. No wonder Jesus prayed. He says, I have done all you gave me. God has given us people in our lives to minister to, to serve. The members of that family were birthed from the wounded side of the Savior on the cross at Calvary's Hill. 
That family was sent on mission when he breathed his spirit into them at Pentecost. We remember them and walk with them so that we have models and companions for the journey of life. They are that great cloud of witnesses. The author of the letter to the Hebrews discusses, through though Abel is dead, he still speaks. They will come, they will welcome us into eternity and cheer us now along the daily path. You know, friends, where we are going, where we are heading to, it's eternity. It's beautiful. Don't grab all you can. Grab the Lord. Him alone. Because that's the one you're going to find. We escort each other to the grave and we turn our backs. They'll turn your, we'll turn our backs on you. But there's only Jesus. He will not turn his back. He will welcome you. So it is with each day of our lives, there is really a divine design. Every morning invites us to begin again. Don't waste it. <clears throat> the very structure of the 24-hour cycle of each day reveals the goodness of a God who always invites us. He is always inviting us and empowers us to begin again. If we didn't do very well yesterday, you can start all over. He's a God who is always inviting us. Then the Son invites us to begin again there by saying yes to the Lord's choice and invitation of love. Our prayer is, Lord, help us for each day which you give us to save you. Two things who I want to emphasize on. One, every end is a beginning. As we move from one month to the next, and these months they are coming, you know when you are 21, uh, the months are long. Uh, when you are working in your 30s, they are so long because you want to get paid quickly. <laughs> when you get sickest, the month starts shrinking. Uh, when you get 80, it's, it continues to shrink. So every end is the beginning. Death can become a second birth for each one of us through living faith. Francis of Assisi prayed these words in uh, his most popular prayer. He says, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. He referred to death as a sister, implying that he had a relationship with it. When I was growing up in my 20s, I didn't want to hear about death. I said, I have many more years I need to live. Why are you talking about his return and death? You know, today people would say, don't talk about death. I'm building a house. I've never lived in my dream house. Others will say, no, don't talk about death. You know, we're just making sure that the kitchen is renovated to our liking. <laughs> and you know what? It never stops. 
you see your life, you reflect, when you sit down, the houses we have God has given us. You see how we have reacted each step of the way. You can tell we are never satisfied. You know, I have a friend who is in their 80s. They want to renovate their kitchen. So God is saying to us, if you live on my time, you will know when to do what. You will know the most important things in your life. We can recall the tender moment recorded for us in John's Gospel where Jesus, brokenhearted at the death of his friend Lazarus, comforts his sister Martha with these words, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do we truly believe this? Do we live in a way that such a belief becomes a reality for our lives? Jesus Christ abolished death and brought us eternal life by removing what Paul calls its sting. First, in order to manage time for us, to manage it well, we must know our purpose. The Apostle Paul stated it very well in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So our purpose is to become mature in Christ. How do we do that? By receiving his salvation, being useful in his service, and becoming Christ-like in character. Maturity goes on and on for a Christian. For those who love the Lord, they are growing every day. Now, maturity is one of those things that cannot be hurried. It takes time. Bruce Wilkerson, author of The Prayer of Jabez and Secrets of the Vine, says this, God doesn't want you to do more for him. He wants you to be more for him. God doesn't want you to do more for him. He wants you to be more for him. Sometimes we think, you know, we can outsave God. No. The Son of Man came to save us. He's the chief saver. I mean, he knows how to save us well. The second point is that time is for bearing a harvest for the Lord. As the Apostle John recorded in the Revelation, he received on the island of Patmos. Our use of time is meant to bear good fruit. We are called to bear a harvest which will accompany us into eternity. It will. If we have an intimate relationship with the one who both gives and governs time, it will bear fruit. 
Time is the opportunity for the Christian to bear fruit that remains. And we need to finish well in our Christian walk with the Lord. Finish strong. Because, you know, it's God who is using us. Jesus reminds us, it was not you who chose me, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, love one another. You know, when I was growing up as a Christian, you know, I, ha I had all these desires. You know, when you become born again, your chief most desire is to love Jesus. We have human desires and we, sometimes we bring those, you know, to the Lord. And, uh, you know, God looks at them. He answers our prayer sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't answer. That's an answer in itself. But, you know, the more we grow in the Lord, the more our desire will be for the Lord. That should be our prayer every morning to desire him, to be in love with him all the time. We decide whether we will use time for bearing good fruit or are used by time as a tyrant who frightens us as we fruitlessly try to resist his claim on our perceived youth. This act of choosing rightly helps us to develop a disposition, a way of living that involves the proper exercise of our human freedom aided by grace. When time is welcomed as an opportunity for bearing the fruits of love and holiness, we learn to receive it in love, perceive it as a field of choice, and then build an environment for holiness and happiness in its passing by living differently. Because we are holy. We are very different people. We are not like these other religions where they are all centered on man. No, we are centered on God. We are very different. The ancients were fond of a Latin phrase called carpe diem, which literally means seize the day. Seize the day. For we who are living in Christ Jesus, that phrase can take on a whole new meaning. Seize every day for Christ. To share the good news with our neighbors. To share the good news with our grandchildren. To share the good news with our children. Every day. By the way, when you die, the only thing which will can remain or will remain is faith. It's not our property. As much that is good, in fact, kids, when you die, they can sell the property so fast and they go, ha, he gave us something. But when you leave faith, they will say, Dad used to pray. Mom wouldn't do this today because of the faith which you have implanted in him. And that's finishing well. When you finish strong, you finish your family. They know, they testify of 
God's goodness in your life. So we should see that day as the reference point for all things in our daily life. We participate in his ongoing redemptive mission when we live our lives as though his day is a milestone and marker for all that we do. It is. It shines light, the light, for the path as he makes us new. The Apostle Paul wrote to Greek Christians, century letters in Ephesus, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise men or, and women, but as wise making the most of the time. We are living on borrowed time, God's time. A time management expert was teaching a seminar for executives uh, most of the people have done MBA, you know, they go over that. He placed a large, clear, open mouth jar in front of the group. Next, he put seven or eight large stones into the jar until it was full. He asked the class, is the jar full? He asked, everyone nodded. Then he took pebbles and filled up the jar with the small rocks until they reached the, you know, the rim. Is the jar full? By now, they, don't, they didn't give an answer. Because everyone is saying, oh, what else can go in this thing? So he, pour, he poured fine sand in. Is the jar full? Someone nodded. He proceeded to take a pitcher of water and filled up, filled up the jar again. And then, what's the lesson about time management? He asked, hands shot up, and everyone agreed, no matter how busy you are, you can always fit in more things into your schedule. <laughs> and the professor said, wrong. He replied, the lesson is, unless you put the big rocks in first, they never will fit in. If you put in water first, they will never fit in. You must figure out what the big rocks are for you. What are the big rocks in your life? Giving time to God? giving time to your marriage and to your children, if you don't put those big rocks in first, someone else will fill up your jar. Period. You have a full jar going around, but God is not in it. It's all yours. 90% is all yours. And you borrow the tithing concept, 10% is for God. No, it's supposed to be 100% for him. A writer, Stephen Covey, writes, time management is a misleading concept. You can't really manage time. You can't delay it, speed it up, save it or lose it. No matter what you do, time keeps moving forward at the same rate. The challenge is not to manage time. He says to manage ourselves. I would add, you ask God to help you manage time. 
Because even ourselves, we cannot manage time. Plan how you are going to spend time with your spouse to deepen and strengthen the relationship. You know, sometimes we can be so busy with the, uh, with the church, with activities, that we are strangers, husband and wife. We don't communicate. We have phrases the way we use them. Sometimes they are good, sometimes they are not good. But plan to spend time. Plan how you are going to spend time playing with and teaching your children, your grandchildren. We have to plan for that. Plan how you are going to get the amount of exercise you need to stay healthy. I break that rule from time to time. <laughs> but now I'm dedicated. I just asked my wife, just wake me up. Because the alarm doesn't do the job. <laughs> and most important, which is at the top, plan how prayer and meditation on the word are going to be significant parts of your life. Every day to pray, to read this word, and sometimes don't have this mentality which most of us have. You know, it's a, you just check. Somebody asks and says, Did you read the word of God? I did. You know, did you pray? I did. Did you tithe for this month? I did. It can be a checklist. But this is. Spending time with the Lord, communing with Him, getting to knowing this God we love. So, without a plan, these most important things always get pushed aside by urgent pressures. But you always have a plan. If you don't plan, you plan to fail, or you, someone else will have plans for you. But it won't work just to plan something today or tomorrow. Planning must be a regular part of our lives. Proverbs 19 verse 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man or woman, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We can have plans. In the next 10 years, this is what we are going to do. This is the kind of person I want to become. Pray that God replan your plans. Rick Warren, you know, once wrote, he says, you make all the plans you want, but ultimately God is in control of where history is headed. And God has a plan and a purpose. God has never made a person he doesn't have a purpose for. So my plea to us is that we set aside time each week to plan, especially to plan your life of prayer. Service and Bible study. You know, sometimes these things are mentioned here. But, you know, because we haven't planned for them. Service. And researchers say only 20% of churches, 20% members of churches, they are the ones who do everything. The 80%, they show up on Sunday. They love it. But you know, if, if we can just flip it to 80% saving, the whole community here will be a lighthouse. Because they will know that people who live there 
they know they are God. Jonathan Edwards said, resolution number one, he says, I will live for God. Resolution number two, he says, if no one else does it, I will still live for God. In other words, that's our first resolution, to live for God. As we consider the timeline of God's unfolding plan, the redemption of the whole cosmos, the God who gives and governs time invites us to rededicate ourselves to living differently in time. It doesn't matter whether you had the wasted years. If today you start planning and saving him and praying for the church, for everyone here, God invites you to that. He wants you to be vibrant in doing his will. And no wonder Jesus says, my time is not yet, but us, we always have time. May we live, you know, to God's order. May we honor him in everything we do. And we need to be focused, laser focused, on what God has called us to do. If one soul comes into the kingdom, God uses you. To God be the glory. If that is not on your radar, then you are not planning well. Share the gospel. The way you live, the way you conduct yourself. Whatever you do, plan, you know, because we don't have much here on earth. You know, in fact, God has said we are to live how many? Four score? Three score and ten, seventy? Four score, eight? If you are 81, that's a bonus. If you are 90, it's hallelujah. If you are 95, you go glory to God. But we are all, we have a timeline. God has just placed it. It's like this. Others is 20 years, others is 50 years, others is 60 years, others is 80 years. But whatever God has given you, do it with all your might. With all your might. May the Lord grant us you know, strength and uh, a reminder that we need to serve him, the one who called us. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we want to live our lives for you. We can never thank you enough for your grace and mercy and your love for us. We always sing praises to you and you alone. Our lives are a gift from you and they are yours. Please use them for your glory and according to your will. We thank you for giving us time to reflect on the time you have given us. May we do it well as we live here on earth. Pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.